asking for it if they do Doesn't know what she wants or what she's gonna do A rebel without a clue Hey, this is Steve Balton and you are tuned into People Have the Power where this week we're joined by special guest Phoebe Bridgers to talk about songs from Connor Oberst, Woody Guthrie, her own music, and so much more. Really fun, inspiring interview. Really impressed with her passion. Hope you enjoy this interview as much as we do. Yeah, the last time we spoke was with me, you, and Connor at that weird little coffee shop next to Grandstand when you were doing uh, Better Oblivion. Oh, cool. Yeah, totally. So I don't know if you're still in that area, but yes, it's, uh, yeah. So it's funny. Now you, I know we were going to speak the other day and you were filming a video, correct? And it's really funny because, you know, I just, we literally, it's so random that I have two interviews on a Sunday, but just got off the phone with Dallin Weeks, who, you know, used to be in Panic at the Disco and has a new band and their video, literally he's in a plastic bubble. I'm very fascinated by the concept of videos (laughs) in 2020. So, you know, like, are you in a plastic bubble? Are you in bubble wrap? Like, you know what what it's, is the format it's gonna be sick it's it's just i don't want to ruin the surprise but it's gonna be so tight <laughs> <laughs> all right so when will since you know since i don't get any preview of it either when when will this be available not sure we're not sure okay so every i'll just have to wait like everyone else but you know because again <laughs> videos in 2020 are a very different phenomenon than they were and you know like he was talking about you know when they filmed it they had a covid compliance officer on set everybody gets their temperature taken going in i was telling him i was filmed for a documentary on an artist which i can't share yet either so and it's funny same thing like covid compliance officer on set it's you know it's such a different world so i'm always fascinated to see how people you know work that in creatively Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's an adjustment, but I'm glad that people are still making stuff, you know? Well, speaking of now, I mean, it's funny because we're doing a twofold interview, which is on your favorite protest songs, which I'm excited to hear your choices. And also the visible show you are doing this Tuesday. And, you know, so speaking of, of being creative and doing things, fill me in a little bit on, on what this is, how you approach these shows. And I'm looking at, you know, sort of the, the things they sent me. And one of my favorite things that jumped off was, audience ability to help set off pyrotechnics because that fascinates me because I don't imagine you've ever set off pyrotechnics in your show anyway. So is there (laughs) one song of yours that you feel lends itself to pyrotechnics? This is a two-part question. One song of yours that best lends itself to pyrotechnics? And two, what is your favorite pyrotechnic arena show that you've ever seen? Hmm. Um, Well, the song that definitely lends itself is the last song on my record called I Know the End, which is just, it's basically like a metal song you know, but it starts all sad and folky and then it turns into a full on metal song. So oh, I don't no, know. Yeah. It, it has that same, like there's a great Iron Maiden song that does that. Uh, Zeppelin of course did that very well. So, so yes, it's totally. A, yeah. Yeah. Some flames at the end would be sick. Um, have I ever had pyrotechnics? No, the closest probably is like a bubble machine. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah. since, you know, you referenced the metal show. I mean, obviously when it comes to it, I mean, I still think of, you know, made in ACDC and KISS as being sort of the kings of the arena rock. But, oh, I cannot forget Alice Cooper. So what's your favorite use of pyrotechnics you've ever seen in a show? Hmm. 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 I don't, I don't know, but Connor told me one time he saw Kevin Hart 
in an arena and there was like flames behind him. And I thought that was kind of sick, like a comedy show with, with uh, pyrotechnics. I'd love to see that. I have not yet. I don't go to many pyrotechnic shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's funny because you could have also seen pyrotechnic shows on, on festival bills, but that's fascinating to me as well. So now I'm curious. I mean, what comedian would you most like to see with flames behind them? Because I've never seen that either. That's kind of fascinating to me. Definitely Tig Notaro, like someone where the, it's the opposite of the kind of comedy they do. That'd be f- amazing. <laughs> All right. So that's fascinating. I love the fact that you had an answer right away. It's not even something that you had to think about because, you know. <laughs> so now, all right. So talk about the show, what it is. And, and again, how do you sort of prepare? And it's so weird because you are billed a special guest with the Daniel Ratliff, who I've interviewed before and is an awesome dude. But, you know, it's special guest is a weird. I mean, I don't imagine, like, are you in the same place? Like, how does how is this sort of working? Are you actually going to Red Rocks for it? Like, what is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we go to Red Rocks. Um, we're actually going to take a tour bus, which is wild. It's like it's safer than the airport as far as COVID goes. We're all getting tested. Um, and then we go all together, set up and play a show to an empty stadium. I'm, I'm uh, stoked and curious and af- afraid all at once. Yeah, it's fascinating, too, because, I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I, I love empty stadiums. But to actually play a show to an empty stadium, although it's weird because, you know, I give visible credit for trying to up the ante and at least do something different because I think people got bored as fuck with the live streams. Like at some point, you know, it's like, all right, that's cool. But, you know, I mean, you know, unless you're fucking like, I don't know, it's funny. I was talking with my friend who's over at iHeart about this and, you know, they did like a telethon early on. And I thought the best performance in the first telethon they did was Billy Joe Armstrong, who I love and I've known for years because he's playing in his living room and his dogs are walking through and he's like, oh, come on over guys. And it's like, instead of trying to, you know, pretend that he's doing a show, he's just like, okay, dude, you guys are like hanging out while I'm playing in my living room. And that's why I thought it worked so well. But, you know, not everybody can do that or not everybody has the experience to do that. So, you know, this is kind of cool and different. But, you know, one of the things that said in the room, like was, you know, audience will actually get to say things that the artists respond to. So, I mean, that's kind of a comedian thing as well, responding, having interaction with the audience. So, I mean, you know, have you have, is that something that you do in your shows and how do you approach that as well? Yeah, for sure. I talk to people the whole show. I feel like I talk to my band. I respond to people screaming things. Um, yeah, I, I, it's definitely going to be weird. I have no idea how they plan on doing that. Um, so it'll be an adjustment, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like one of my favorite parts. The, the worst thing about the live stream situation is like not feeling anything from anyone and just, you know, it's, it's like pretty similar to just playing by yourself. Um, for nobody. Like it's, it's, I close my eyes when I sing too. So I forget that I'm on live stream. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm excited about that element for sure. Well, it's interesting too, because I mean, will this be one of the first or will this be the first opportunity you've had to do a lot of the songs off Punisher? And even though there won't be a proper audience there, you're still doing it in production setting and in such an iconic venue. So, I mean, have you done these songs, you know, in sort of a full band setting in a venue yet? Or is this, will this be the first time? <laughs> no, never. I, I feel like I am the king of, of picking the worst first show. Like, this is pretty high press as far as shows go, especially for 2020. Um, but yeah, it'll be the first time I'm really even around my band since COVID started. Uh, like we rehearsed today, but that's pretty much it. 
um, it'll be the first, and the first show is always the roughest, but with my band Boy Genius, our first ever show was at the Ryman Auditorium. And I feel like it's, it's comparable to that. I'm like, why <laughs> we should have done some sort of like warm up show. It's just, you know, the global pandemic makes it a little hard, but yeah, it'll be the first time playing a lot of this stuff. Well, see, it's funny because you could have obviously done a warm up show prior to the Ryman, but I don't know what a warm up show in 2020 would entail. You know exactly, exactly. So at least you're rehearsing for it. But now it's interesting. Right. Okay, so so with the idea that you know this is going to be kind of the first time, are there songs that you are particularly excited to play with your band? And obviously, you mentioned you know the end song, which is uh, I stuck with title because you know I listen to everything. I, I actually listen to albums as a start to finish. So you know. yeah, but that's good. Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited. I'm excited to play the whole record. You know, it, uh, it's, it's easy to forget that I made something. Um, and this will be a reminder, like, again, first rehearsal today. So I'm excited to hear how certain songs sound. I'm excited to like, the, I feel like limitations are really fun too. when like, you know, there are certain things that we can't do. Like I play with tons of strings and we obviously won't have that. Um, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing like how songs that we absolutely can't play the full thing of, uh, kind of transform and become something else. Well, that's such an interesting thing too, because again, at some point in the future, whatever that will be, you know, you will actually get to do this stuff. So are there songs that you are particularly curious to see how they transform and then imagine to see how they will, how that transformation will stick going into when you can tour. And again, obviously you haven't played them yet, so you don't know exactly how they're going to transform, but I'm sure you have ideas or curiosities as to particular songs as to how they'll evolve. Yeah. Like Chinese satellite, for example, that that's like, it's a pretty wild um, version that has only strings in the choruses and we definitely can't do that. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited. What else? Like, I think that, with the first record, we just kind of ended up being able to play everything in this, and it sounded pretty much exactly like the record. But even the "I Know the End" song, you know that that session had like 180 tracks on it. Not not in the end, we we like deleted a lot of stuff, but <laughs> but you know it's like me doubled or whatever. Like it just is gonna sound super different. So um, excited about that. Um, yeah, and then there are songs that'll be kind of more solo, like the one that I sing with Boy Genius, the Graceland 2 song, obviously it's going to sound way different because, uh, you know, they're not with me. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I would like to jump around in these interviews as well. So I'm kind of curious then, and we'll veer back and forth. But, you know, because also when you mention protest songs, it sort of slides into an area that then, you know, I mean, I always tie it back into how it influences you and your music. So what is your first protest song of choice? My first choice is uh, Deportees, or aka Plane Crash at Los Gatos uh, by Woody Guthrie. Um, the Joan Baez version is the first version that I heard, but it's just the, my favorite protest songs um, are the ones that basically just say exactly what's happening or what happened. Um, and you're kind of like, like, at least the first time I heard it when I was a kid, I was like, well, that's not real, uh, but it's just real. Um, <laughs> and that's the most heartbreaking stuff, you know, with like any art, like a traumatizing movie based on true events or something. Uh, it's like all, all they really do is lay out the facts of what happened. And it's just so heartbreaking, which is that in 1948, 
a plane carrying 32 people of 32 Mexican farm workers crashed and the news was just like, oh, they were just deportees. Um, they were being deported and crashed. Uh, and yeah, Joan Baez, best ever. Dude, that's, that's so fascinating to me because it's so interesting. I mean, that's the first time that someone's chosen that song. You know, there's been other Woody Guthrie stuff picked, but I mean, that's the first, you know, one from Joan. And it's so fascinating because the, the thing that's been so enthralling about this is to, you know, both enthralling and depressing is to see how much these songs are still relevant. And, you know, so that's yep. 1948, that's 72 years ago. And yet the idea of them being reported as just deportees you feel like, oh, that's exactly what would happen in 2020. Absolutely. It absolutely, like almost <clears throat> on a bigger scale because, the, you know, the f- infrastructure here for just like, you know, slave labor is so enormous. And with like little kids being separated from their parents at the border, like it's just more people now. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's maybe there's more awareness or whatever or something, but I don't know, man. It really, I think when I was a kid, I thought, oh, the future means progress. And sure, I saw the first black man be elected president, but I just had this like myth of, and everything's moving forward. And then watching things slowly move backwards and kind of like right in front of us and also simultaneously like under our noses move backwards, you know, as like a white, woman who lives in Silver Lake, there's only, like, I have to really look (laughs) for information. You have to be, you have to, like, really critically think, because if I wasn't paying attention, I have, like, a curated version of America, you know? Um, And I think Woody Guthrie uh, is just such a great example of somebody who, you know, he kind of let his morals destroy him. He went absolutely insane um with guilt and like he was so aware uh you know this land is our land was written for (laughs) what what was it like donald trump's dad or grandpa i can't remember whatever one was a real estate mogul in new york uh pushing black people out of his buildings um and he wrote like a really really long letter and then also this land is our land so so uh yeah i just i I I feel like I shouldn't ever touch protest songs. I feel, uh, I don't know. I would just hate to 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 sound like we are the worldy. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, so so it's something that scares the shit out of me. But when people do it right, it's just so it's like bone chilling. <laughs> well, but something you said is when people do it right, and that's one of the fact you know. It, it's fascinating to see. I mean, it's also, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I always use an example of, right, to me, Neil Young is one of the greatest songwriters who ever lived. I fucking love Neil Young. I've interviewed him about five times. He's an amazing artist. He had a song years ago called Let's Impeach the President that was one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever heard because it was so <laughs> heavy-handed. It was just yeah. so... But again, I mean, he's a genius songwriter. And, you know, I mean, you know, you look at a song like Helpless... Or I mean, fucking after the gold rush. Speaking of totally, a perfect, well, after perfect, the gold rush isn't not to me. Like it's maybe a more ethereal, but it is about destroying the planet. But it's it's yeah. I think anything heavy-handed risks being fucking so corny. Um, which is funny because one of my other picks is very heavy-handed and not corny. What's um, that? 
Uh, that is Ralphie's Cut by Despercitos. So uh, Connor wrote it. And Despercitos is like, every song is so heavy-handed. And I, I love that band more than anything. Like, it's just... Um, and maybe maybe it's less cringy because it's screaming constantly, but um, it's, yeah, one of the best songs ever written, in my opinion. Yeah, interesting. I mean, all right. Now, by the way, I want to go back to something you said, too, because I don't want to discount this, because for me, I'm also a big movie fan, so this is fascinating to me. What What's your favorite tearjerker movie? What's that one movie that just makes you cry every time? Oh, my God. Actually, yesterday, I watched Honey Boy for the first time. And I don't think I've had an emotional reaction to a movie like that in years. I like, it hurt me deeply. It hurt me so deeply uh, in the, like, like a good therapy session or something. But I feel, I feel like on a bruise, I feel like a bruise walking around after seeing that movie. Interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it. So now I have to go and watch it. Fuck. It's so fucked. It's so fucked. <laughs> uh, highly recommend. Uh, now, just for for point of context, what are a couple of the other things that could just make you cry every time? Um, hmm. uh, the live at Cine Jeff Buckley record makes awesome. me cry every time. I think it's because it's I used it. It's like a dead pet device or something. Like the mid, if I need to cry about something, all I have to do is like think about that. Actually. I have one of my own songs that makes me cry because it's because my dog died and it's, it was written when he was still alive about him kind of. Um, <laughs> so Which I have a song, song that like is, it's called me and my dog. <laughs> right. It's a, uh, it's a boy, it's a boy genius song, but it's really hard for me to play because I remember writing it. Like the idea behind writing it was kind of like, it was, I was getting frustrating with writing and I was like, all right, like, what do you uncomplicatedly wish was happening in your life that's not happening? Like, bar nothing. Like, what, if you could have anything in the world, what would it be? And it was like, I want to be on a spaceship looking down at Earth with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah. And so, so uh, just remembering kind of how innocent that feeling was and then trying to play it now where I'll never have that is so fucked up. I love hurting my own feelings. What kind of dog was it? He was a he was a pug. He lived to be sixteen too, which impressive. But you know, I've had him since I was eight. Yeah. So, do you have another one now or no? No, I've been trying to. I could never get another. Like you know, my parents got you know a bred pug, which I think they just they need a product recall. Like they're fucking miserable. So I've been trying to get a rescue, um, but it's been hard. Everybody's getting rescue dogs. Uh, but yeah, keep, keep your eyes peeled because I'm looking for a pug. Okay. Yeah, no, my, my lab retriever shepherd died in uh, April of last year. Worst trauma I've ever gone through. And it's a totally, but that I found a rescue is actually walking to me right now. And I found, and it was funny. I wasn't, I adopted, like I fostered first. I've only had rescues, but it, it, there's nothing that triggers like the, the dead pet. And it's funny because the song I listened to the last morning that she was alive was Joseph Arthur in the sun because we were sitting in the yard while we were waiting for, you know, she had cancer. And it's like that song to this day still makes me fucking tear up every damn totally. time. 
I hear it. It's such a great song and, and that thing. So it's interesting. I want to come back though to the, you know, uh, not that talking about dead pets is an, you know, cathartic, but it's also depressing as fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah. Coming back to the, you mentioned Joan Baez being the best and I've gotten to interview Joan. She was incredible. Her voice still sounds so good. I mean, you know, talk about these songs like Despacitas and obviously it's interesting because then you've gotten to play with and be friends with Connor, you know, how these songs and, and it's funny because just the simple ability to tell a story, whether you write a protest song or not, just telling a story, how those have influenced your own writing. Um, yeah, I mean, Connor, knowing Connor personally, I think has influenced my own writing more than anything. Uh, in the best way where I like I've gotten a fun window into what he values about his own writing and how he gets there um, which is just his like incredible ability to put him himself in somebody else's shoes where like stylistically again why I can't really or I don't I have not yet had the urge to write a protest song because I write strictly from my own perspective um, about everything. <laughs> so, you know, and again, white woman, Silver Lake, I don't know how many protest songs we really need. Um, but, but yeah, he just has like so much like creative empathy. And so Ralphie's Cut, that song, uh, is about the healthcare system in America. And it was uh, Connor's friend, Ralphie, who had a, like a really gnarly like lung issue. Um, I forget what it was called, but, you know, he had like a double lung transplant and all this shit. And there's a scream on the end of the song, which is actually Ralphie when he was plugged into a wall, uh, like not really able to move, like waiting to get his lungs transplanted. And then he did get them transplanted. He died like two years later. But, um, but the scream, it was like, that's actually him. And you can hear his like horrific wheezing. Um, and it's just like too expensive to be alive. He couldn't really go back to work because then his health insurance would be insane. Um, like just, it's so horrific. Like the way that, (laughs) uh, people with disabilities are treated in the States, unless you're like loaded, basically if you're loaded, you can live for as long as humanly possible. Um, and it's like possible to save other people that, but, but they're just left behind, uh, which is so dark. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I, one thing I want to try and do with these is as we, you know, and we'll come up onto your last, you know, I don't know how many songs you chose, but it's really interesting because one thing obviously too is, look, I mean, you know, obviously we're having this conversation. It's, as you say, things are sliding backwards. There's, you know, the things going on in Portland. There was the RNC this week. There's what, you know, so I don't know if there's a practical way to tie this into, you know, your views on voting, what you do all this stuff, but I definitely want to try and sort of tie it into more practical stuff as we come up on an election to actually, I don't know, motivate people to get off their ass and try and change (laughs) the way that things are because otherwise we're fucked. Totally. Well, I think, um, I, I was, it's one of those amazing things where (laughs) watching people get called out on the internet when you didn't really say shit and you could have, been yelled at but you weren't because you watched other people get yelled at like that happened to me a little bit with just telling people to vote being like vote like come on everybody like don't not show up it's like actually the issue is fucking voter suppression like it's like there are a lot of people (laughs) in america where the i mean jesus the usps situation like people are actively especially black and brown people in this country like the world has been trying to get them to stop 
or to not be able to vote or like it's some logistical fucking nightmare where it's like five pieces of paperwork and oh shit you didn't do the one right or whatever so you're discounted um actually like i hope that the focus goes on like making it possible for people to vote because of course again white people in california will like always be able to vote um and just like making that possible for everybody i think is by far the most important thing even just like knowledge about like where's your polling place like you know the half the fucking polling place is shutting down or whatever like covid is a perfect excuse um so just I, I like the at least as far as the amount of time I spend with Twitter just like in front of my eyeballs all day. Like I like the focus on that, on bringing voting to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to. Well, I mean, it's interesting too because like you say, white people in California will always be able to vote. But I mean, you know, certainly it's like you look at everything that happened with the NBA this week. I happen to be a big basketball fan. But the fact that then they're turning all of the arenas, you know, that the players actually demanded so cool. that, yeah, that all of the arenas be turned into polling, you know, I mean, so it's interesting because it's like as much as there's, it's funny, I was having this conversation with Steve Van Zandt not long ago and about the idea of, you know, he's like, well, I don't know how much protest music makes a difference. I'm like, dude, your music literally fucking helped end apartheid. So it's kind of interesting to hear you say that. Because when he wrote Sun City in 85, what it did was it drew attention to what was happening with apartheid and then caused artists to boycott South Africa. And of course, as soon as you hit people in the pocketbook, then they're like, oh shit, well, now we've got to end this. So, but it's interesting because what you're seeing with it is people can't actually make a difference and stuff like that, you know? So yeah. it's, when you look at, I mean, are there people, and you mentioned Joan Baez, and I mean, you know, she's uh, fucking like, you know, an icon in this but artists who inspire you in the way that they speak out and just using their voice for, you know, it's funny because it doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of a political, a particular political party or issue, but just for social reform, those artists who have been sort of role models for you in the way that they've done a great job of using their, their influence and fame to be able to draw attention to issues that are important to them. Yeah, well, I mean, Jesus, um, fucking president talks to God. Connor's like made up song that he wrote in like 25 seconds uh, before he played Late Night. I was pretty little at the time, but I knew my parents, had, parents hated the president. I knew my parents hated the president, but I didn't, ex and I didn't really know why. And even when I heard the song, I was like, I was like, oh, I should think this. I should like, this is someone I trust with basically my, my heart and soul creatively, <laughs> like, you know, like writing some of my favorite music ever. Um, I must also hate George Bush and I need to know why, you know, like I need to know more about this, which again, like the NBA, that's so powerful. It's so every time someone's like, stay out of politics, I'm like, have you ever heard music? You know, <laughs> yeah. like Bob Dylan. Um, my other, my last choice is, uh, Hattie Carroll. So it's like, I just, it, it's, it's, it's what brings people's attention to it, you know, art and film, same thing. Um, it's, it, I feel like it's, it's our like responsibility, even if, you know, like me, I don't write protest songs, but I said, fuck Donald Trump on stage in Salt City, Salt Lake City and g got silence. And I'm like, how the fuck can you like my music and Donald Trump? You know, I didn't think that was a Venn diagram. How can you like my music and be a cop? 
uh, that was surprising. Like all I posted was Black Lives Matter, defund the police. And I got this really long message from a cop being like, well, I mostly work with people in like who are rehabilitating from drugs. And like, are you telling me I'm not contributing to the community? And I'm like, get a different job, buddy. Like, sounds like you're a social worker if you're telling the truth. So, um, so yeah, I think it's our responsibility because otherwise, you know, people can just like our music and, and ignore like <laughs> human rights. <laughs> You know, that's fascinating to me because it, it's funny. I remember talking with Aaron from AWOL Nation maybe a year or two ago. Um, I guess it's two years ago now when they were opening for Profits of Rage. And, you know, Morello has been, you know, he's been uh, a trending topic on multiple times this year for calling out fans for, you know, who basically are like, oh, you should stay out of politics. And he's like, have you left with this <laughs> fucking music, right? <laughs> totally. But it's so, I mean, it, it, so there is a long, great history. And it's, I, I even go back to write, my favorite artist of all time is Springsteen. In 90, in, in 2004, he did the Vote for Change tour, you know, which was actually an actual tour to help John Kerry get elected over George Bush. Unfortunately, it failed. And yet- With Connor. Yeah. And, all and Michael Stipe. Yeah, I love yeah. Michael Stipe too. And all these people come out and they're like, dude, I didn't know that you were, you know, a Democrat. Like, oh, I used to love you. Even even, <laughs> even they just released the video for The Rising to go with Joe Biden. And it's the same thing. And it's like, it, it's amazing. I think one of the problems that we have in this country right now in terms of the complete lack of communication is that people don't, people only hear what the fuck they want to hear. They don't yeah, actually totally. hear you know, the truth. So, so it's funny. Have there been responses to you tying this into a question and I'll let you go in a minute, but have there been surprises like people, things that people have said to you that you're just like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe that, you know, aside from the cop one or people who were, you know, fans of Donald Trump listening to your music, but like specific things you've heard about, you know, in response to your songs where you're just like, wow, do you even know who I am? Um, yeah, totally. I mean, like YouTube and Instagram comments of even just someone saying stay out of politics or like it makes it gaslights me into thinking like, who do I make music for? Am I making fucking like over the intercom Starbucks music? Like, <laughs> are people not listening to my my words or what I fucking say every day? Because um, it's easy to feel like a slacktivist. Uh, so, yeah, all it does is fuel me. <laughs> All right. Now it's interesting to you, by the way, before I let you go, but I, I, you, why Hattie Carroll? I mean, you know, cause of course you could pick 8,622 Dylan songs. So what is it about that one in particular? Well, again, it's like the just laying out of a storyline with barely any like intricacy or like poetry involved. It's just like, there's this one Daniel Johnston song called uh, King Kong, where it's just the plot of King Kong. Um, and Hattie Carroll to me is exactly that. It's like just what happened. And like the listener has no choice but to decide that it's the most fucked up, disturbing thing on earth that could happen uh, with like white supremacy. Um, so, so yeah. And again, with the deportees song, it's like that could have happened fucking yesterday. Like what did he do fucking six months in jail or whatever? And maybe like, it's just that could be wrong, but no jail time <laughs> um, for murder. Uh, and uh, and yeah, that could have happened yesterday. Like you know, Breonna Taylor's killers are still uh, at large. Um, so I think that's another just heartbreaking thing. Is like I've seen 
of, of an amazing live performance of that where he's only Bob Dylan's only playing to a couple people and he looks like 21, you know, he looks like a little baby faced person. And now, uh, you know, he's <laughs> like watching baby Bob Dylan sing about something that could have happened yesterday is disturbing. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think uh, you know one song of his that doesn't ever get referenced or doesn't get referenced enough to me for that story ability too is um, dude, I freaking love the Hurricane. Oh, totally. Oh my God, yeah. Again, just laying out what happened. Yeah, that's all you have to do. Yeah. Mm. All right, cool. So you said Hattie Carroll was your last choice. So you have three. I just want to make sure I don't miss any. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just three. Cool. No, those are three great songs. So it's interesting too, because also you mixed it up in a way that was, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's funny. I mean, we'll make this last question, but you know, since we're talking about this, do you see a, a point where you would ever write a quote unquote protest song or no? It's just not f- for you. <laughs> I, I could definitely try again. It would have to, it would have to be something I was at least sort of affected by. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, if I were to write a song about like Black Lives Matter, <laughs> can you imagine a cringier thing? Just with like, you know, I, it would have to be something that I was affected by and I would definitely like show it to all my friends, make sure that I wasn't, you know, we are the worlding anything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel strongly. And if, if anything were, you know, again, I said the George Bush thing, like if anything, all my favorite artists have, educated me in things that I should have already known about. Um, and if I could do that for anybody, it is my like civic duty to do that. Um, so yeah, definitely open to it, but it's felt cringy <laughs> up until now. And I'll leave it to Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan and Connor and Joan Baez. <laughs> All right. So wrapping up on the visible thing, by the way, for a second too, is there anything, um, Oh, just on a fun note, you know, since you are, are a guinea pig in this and doing this, you know, if this takes off and does well, who would be your dream artist to see in a different setting? Like basically where would be, who would be your dream artist to see and at what venue? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I would see grouper in like Hollywood forever cemetery. I think that would be sick. Uh, yeah. I saw a grouper show at the end of last year that like changed my life. So, I've just been waiting to recreate that. And um, like, you know, Bonnie Vare, maybe 10 years ago or something played Hollywood forever as the sun was coming up, uh, which is just the most power move ever. That's when you know you can sell tickets, uh, but it'd be cool to recreate that. Cool. What else do you want to add? I didn't ask you about. Um, nothing. Stay safe, everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Vote, vote. <laughs> cool. All right. Pleasure. Good catching up with you. And uh, I'll, right. I'll, be, I'll be curious to see how this comes out. And also, you know, if you get great fan comments or not, you know. And also, by the way, too, you know, what pyrotechnics they have for you to set off. Oh, my God. I have no fucking clue. I'm excited, though. <laughs> All right, cool. Have a go. Thanks. All right, later. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been tuned in to People Have the Power with special guest Phoebe Bridgers. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did. Thanks.